Pump your brakes, Mr. Padilla. I think in the common, the kid's vernacular, I seemed too thirsty. Wait, wait, what do you mean by thirsty? I think that's my thing. All right, whatever. Hey, welcome back to another episode. Of- <laughs> that's how the show starts. I don't know what time. else to do. I'm, I could, I'm turning this into therapy. I just need to find a therapist. I realize I think the whole show is therapy. This is going to be quite a Patreon uh, bonus. Hey, welcome back Hi, patrons. to another episode of 1980s. Now, a weekly examination of the importance of 1980s pop culture and its influence today. My name is Will, and joining me, joining me as always, are my friends. They really are truly my friends. I feel that way about them. Hopefully it's mutual. They're all, and because they're my friends, they're also my co-hosts because that's how cool they are. Uh, Kat and John, hey guys. Hello, friends. <laughs> I think, yes, friends, certainly. It took too long to answer. Why would you even question it? It took too long. <laughs> what do I say? I was not sure how best to answer <laughs> without sending, without spiraling someone into thinking I was thinking too hard, which is exactly what happened. All right. I, 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 I need help. I know that. Hey, on today's show, we're going to be talking about the 10 most sampled pieces of music in history. Wow. Asterisk. Mm. Now, asterisk, oh. because I'll, I'll explain later, okay. because okay. three of them are sample words or phrases from songs, and that's not as interesting okay. to me as music mm-hmm. pieces. You know, right. drum beats right. and, yeah. so, and, yeah. so, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. this is inspired. Usually we have a show and then we, uh, that inspires maybe a conversation we have with someone who's sort of in that niche. Mm-hmm. This one, the opposite thing happened. I was chatting with uh, Luxury last week. You should check out that episode. Uh-huh. And we talked about mm-hmm. copyright law and sampling and interpolation and all the different aspects of, uh, you know, mm-hmm. music and law that I love. I just totally Interpolation? Yes. What's that? Cat, can't wait to hear. You just got yeah. Mm-hmm. So okay, you you know she's pretending that she doesn't know and hasn't watched <laughs> well, all of Luxury's videos where he whispers interpolation. It's his catchphrase. I, <laughs> I may have heard him use that phrase, but I think yeah. I think I need to pay better attention to what it is. I need okay. to refresh well, myself. Yeah, check out so Luxury's videos and check out our interview from mm-hmm. last week. Today, however, mm-hmm. we're going to be talking about, as I mentioned, samples, which are different. We'll talk mm-hmm. about it a little bit uh, later, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what we're going to talk about today. However, um, before Mm -hmm. that, I I guess right Mm -hmm. now, because I don't think we have anything to announce, but uh, it's almost Mm. like teasing the news and then doing the news. Okay. In just a moment, (laughs) like seconds from now, I'm just going to give you the the, the bullet points. We're going to talk about how uh, uh, Kaya Stewart has already left American Idol. Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. Uh, not much of a tease that pretty much gave the whole story away. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe I'll change these. Uh, what, what, what else could I say? Um, huh. uh, Kaya went bye bye. Okay, how Kaya Ooh. went bye bye. There you go. I like that cat. I'll nice. cut your part out and make it sound like I said it. Um, what else? How cat uh, beat Drew Barrymore <laughs> to a huh a live uh, moment. Uh, on, yeah. Although I think yeah. hers was more widely uh, experienced oh, or viewed. Hmm. Or only barely. <laughs> wow, this is just, yeah. that's just too vague. All right, what does it matter? We're going to talk about it right now. And uh, whether or not we're going get, to be getting a sequel to Dungeons and Dragons. Mm. There you go. So, hey, look, we don't want you to hang out uh, for any more, any longer than you need to, to find out, well, what did Cat experience 
live on this show. <laughs> months before Drew Barrymore. Again. <laughs> that was months. I think it's happening. It could to happen tonight every, too. Every night too. Okay. Oh no! All right, uh, so <laughs> in order to jump to it, let's get caught up on 1980. So hey, regarding a Kaya who went by Baya, because we're gonna make you wait for the cat story. <laughs> Hey, her billboard, Eurythmics member Dave Stewart's daughter. Remember her? We just talked about her just a few days ago. Kaya yes. is already off American Idol, but not in the way, mm-hmm. not for the reasons you think. Now, we were speculating maybe right. she wouldn't be talented enough to make it further. No, that's not what happened. Yeah. Uh, in fact, however, just a couple of weeks into this American Idol season, they've now lost two people for mm-hmm. yeah. surprising reasons. The huh. first, uh, whose name was Sarah Beth Lieb or Lieb quit. Uh, okay. It seemed to be that she quit following some quote mom shaming end quote joke from Katy Perry. Uh, the, wow. The uh, woman actually who was uh, who was a contestant at the time is actually mother to three young kids. It was uh, after that became part of her you know story uh, as we talked about last mm-hmm. week. You need a catch. You need some kind of hook. Mm-hmm. Uh, Katy yes. Perry made some sort of joke yes. saying something like, well, you need to get your back off that table and do something with your life, you know, essentially. I saw that. Yeah. Was she suggesting yeah. she's that's, having yeah, sex that's... on the table all the time? Is that what that I, means? I, I kind of think that's what it was. Is that what yeah. she meant? I didn't know. Yeah. yeah. I, I, well, mm-hmm. I saw it when she left, the, the, the mom of three, whatever yeah. she was. She. Uh, mm-hmm. It just made me wonder, like, I understand, okay, you could miss a child. I get that. You know, and mm-hmm. But- but that was all worked out when she went on American Idol. She knew where she was going and what she was yeah. doing. And, 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 and if you give your shot to do something mm-hmm. you've always wanted to do, mm-hmm. and I speak from experience, you, you either do it or mm-hmm. you don't let anybody, what anybody else says, tell you like, oh, we're making fun of you. Too bad. This is my shot. Like you're going to yeah. take it, you know, not to. Yeah, yeah. So I, I wonder if there's some extenuating circumstances or maybe she was getting friction back from home, from mm. other members of her family or something, because she, she, she knew what she was getting in for. And I don't think, snarky things from Katy Perry would have wouldn't have pushed me off my dream. So that, that one seemed kind of sketchy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder if there's more to this story, like John mm-hmm. is saying yeah. that they, they, there's other dynamics at play there possibly. Well, for her part, the singer, yeah. the contestant said that uh, she forgave Katy, Katy Perry and it wasn't because okay. of that, but it was that she hadn't anticipated how difficult it would be emotionally to be away mm. from her kids who, you know, she, she was imagining needed her to be back home. And maybe, sure. maybe based on the circumstances, you know, she mm-hmm. did. Um, yeah. Maybe. Uh, you travel for conventions and such like that, John. Obviously, you're, you're, you're not, you don't have young kids at home, but do you find it difficult mm-hmm. to be from away from home at those times? Well, I used to travel like 90% of the time mm-hmm. uh, for my, for my job for, I don't know, for eight or nine years I did that. And mm-hmm. it just comes down, you have to have a good partner and mm-hmm. you have to take advantage of the time when you are home. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know the, the home situation of this woman that left, but yeah. maybe she didn't have those two things, right? Maybe she didn't have a good partner yeah. and she wasn't prepared to, to, to deal with it or, she had not done made made the most of what she had when she was home. So yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it that, that it's there's something more to that story, I think. But I mean, I know that's that's also not the one we're talking about the most, which is actually that that Maya left, which seemed a little bit weirder. Yeah. Right. Um, I wish I could have heard her sing again, but I guess Will, you're going to tell us the reason why she left. Or yeah, uh, she in fact she never could, did yeah. get to sing again because uh, on the April third episode of the show. Mm-hmm. There was this sudden turn when Kaya, again, who is the daughter of mm-hmm. Eurythmics co-founder Dave Stewart, quit mm-hmm. the competition during holiday week. 
after saying she had been struggling with sickness. Right. So she was originally set to perform in a duet uh, alongside another hopeful, uh, Fire, the name of Fire. Mm -hmm. Uh, but then mm-hmm. Kaya revealed that she wasn't feeling her best. Fire uh, added saying, quote, everything was originally amazing when Kaya and mm-hmm. I were re- rehearsing this morning and going through things and figuring out a plan. Then throughout the day, she started getting sicker and sicker and started getting a fever and she couldn't remember the words, end quote. Yikes. Uh, so uh, once it was time to perform in front of the judges, uh, who are Lionel Richie, Katy Perry, who, who we remember, uh, mentioned already, and Luke Bryan, Kaya announced her decision saying, quote, I got sick at the beginning of Hollywood week and I've been trying to push myself and keep going going. And during this performance, I realized I wasn't able to give a hundred percent. So I've decided not mm-hmm. to perform. Okay. Uh, when Perry asked her to, for clarification, what that meant, she said, quote, me not performing means I'm no longer going to be in the competition end quote. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. then she tearfully ran off the stage. That's, that's a personality trait yeah. I have seen in, in, in other people I've known in my life, which is, is uh, okay. Like I, I'm not, I'm not saying she wasn't sick. Yeah. Perhaps she mm-hmm. was, and mm-hmm. I, I have no reason to believe she wasn't, but Mm-hmm. Then when you are sick, rather than ask for help, yeah. seek some special dispensation, say, I need a rain check, I need whatever. Yeah. Right. They use that as an excuse to, oh, I can't do it and leave right. because there was a lot of stress. Right. You know, if you really wanted it, if you really wanted to be there, you don't, you don't, you don't leave. You go, mm-hmm. I'm just killing me. I can't perform. What can we do? Is there a way? Make, you're going to make me you're going to fire me, right? I'm not quitting. Right. You're going to make me right. leave. You know, but right. You find a way. I, I think yeah. you yeah. find that illness. And there. And you said, Katy Perry asked, well, what does that mean? You're not performing tonight. She mm-hmm. could have said, you tell me, what can I do? I got to make this right. Tell me. Oh, she didn't say that. She's like, oh, I'm leaving. And she ran off. Right. And it was, I watched it and just, it bothers me yeah. to see people throw away shots like that when I know how many people try so hard to get there. Yeah. I feel like there must've been a way. <laughs> I mean, it's a, she didn't ask that I right. that we saw at right. least. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, if John. I don't know if you have a specific person or set of people in mind when you're talking about this, but I wonder if it's a generational thing because I've observed this. Mm. This is going to sound like crotchety old man stuff, but I've observed <laughs> it. And what I would say is the <laughs> what's our current crop of adults that she'd be part of? Are those the millennials? The millennials are adults now. They're in their mid twenties. Where yeah. and look, I'm not saying that mm. their life circumstances, maybe in the last in the generation in which they grew up, didn't bring them to this point. Because they've had different mm-hmm. experiences than we did. And we were. Oh, we raised them. It's our fault. Well, there you go. Yeah. Maybe we. <laughs> if in fact. Yeah. If there is a thing generationally, it's yeah. we did it to them. Okay. Right? Well, there you go. And, and yeah. And it's sort yeah. of goes like that. Right. We had it tough growing up. So we coddle our mm-hmm. kids and then they don't know what yep. to do when things get tough. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yep. I, I even, you know, I've seen it in younger kids where it seems like the, it's the pre- pressure or stress they're not prepared to deal with. And it gets so uncomfortable. They'd rather do anything but that, including, you know, yeah. abandon something that may be a lifelong dream. Sad. Sure. Right? Sad. It is. <laughs> hey, uh, in other 80s news and uh, per Cosmopolitan, Drew Barrymore is being praised for getting real about pen- perimenopause. Where's my praise? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where's Kat's praise? <laughs> I mean, everything that they say about Drew Barrymore, just we could say about Cat, right? This says over the years. Oh. Says over Uh-oh. the years, Drew Wait, Barrymore. <laughs> over the years, Drew Barrymore has cemented her reputation as being one of the nicest and most genuine people. Oh, oh. Mm-hmm. that's Cat. Right. Keep going. There right. you go. I'll what take else? That. The forty-eight-year-old, or a Cat's a little older than that, yeah, oh, ish, uh, who's been in the spotlight for the majority of her life, is known for dismantling beauty standards and just generally being an all-around legend. That's Cat. Cat. Okay. Wow. I don't know. I haven't been in in the spotlight, but okay. I'm I'm pretty sure I'm not one for 
holding up any <laughs> beauty standards. So, so then you have dismantled them then. That'd be the opposite of holding them up. Okay, there you go. Yeah, She's yeah. destroyed okay. them. Absolutely yeah. just decimated. I mean, look at her. <laughs> I mean, exhibit A. Oh, look at me. <laughs> exhibit A, your honor. <laughs> you can't see me. Oh, well, in case you missed it and uh, how, how did, how could you have missed it? Oh gosh, I wish at this point I had pulled the clip of Kat's experience on our show, but uh, Drew was interviewing. Add it in later. Yeah, oh, I'll add that in. Drew was interviewing Jennifer Aniston and Adam Sandler on Monday's episode mm-hmm. of her talk show, uh, the Drew Barrymore Show. And in the midst of the chat, where the two were promoting their new film on Netflix, uh, Murder Mystery Two, mm-hmm. uh, Barrymore st- suddenly interrupts the conversation, <laughs> revealing she thinks she's having her first hot flash. Mm-hmm. Now, Kat, you didn't have your first hot flash on our show, but you had a hot flash. Is that what it was? I did. I had a hot flash. It was definitely not my first. Can I tell you <laughs> my first hot flash is? I, I don't know exactly when the do, first one was. Do you was, start counting them after the first one or at what point do you stop numbering them? See <laughs> huh. the grocery store. Number seven. Just, <laughs> just shout it out. Tally marks in a note on my phone. <laughs> she confuses the pe- people at the butcher shop. <laughs> But I, I started having hot flashes right before the pandemic hit. Hmm. Oh, is that and right? And I didn't okay. know yeah. what was going on. I, 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 I Do you think you had COVID? <laughs> oh, COVID yeah. fever. Thank you. That's, I kept panicking. Like, <gasps> I have a fever. Oh. oh, it's gone. Oh, no, another fever. Oh, it's gone. <laughs> and then wow. finally someone suggested to me, um, no, it's something else. <laughs> so for, fo- for folks who don't know, in medical terms, it describes a sudden surge of hot skin and sweat and a feeling of warmth mm. throughout the upper body. It's usually the most intense over the face, chest, and neck, and is a common mm-hmm. symptom of perimenopause, the premenopause years, and menopause itself. I think, I, again, I think mm-hmm. this is happening to me every, I don't know, maybe let's say 10 days or so. Like mm-hmm. I wake up in the middle of the night covered in sweat, <laughs> and I'm usually freezing all night long. And the weird thing about uh-huh. it for me is, mm-hmm. and maybe this, you can tell me better than anybody, I'm so hot. I, first of all, I bundle up like an old lady yes. at night. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm the guy who's mm-hmm. cold no matter what, Profiling. <laughs> what? What John, did John say? I'm profiling old ladies. John, oh. I'm going to tell you right now how I dismantle beauty standards every night, okay? Okay, got it. All and right. because I dismantle beauty standards, what I'm about to tell you, I do in the dark. After the oh, lights are off ooh. or undercover so my wife doesn't see it because oh, I want man. her to remain attracted to me. I'm hanging on. I'm hanging on as long as I can. All right. All right. I tuck my pajama pants into my socks. <laughs> Wow. That's the first thing I do. For, for what? What is that called? Does it keep the, the crickets out? What do you, why are you doing that? You see, you don't have this experience. Because either the pants go up or the socks go down and then there's coldness yes. entering in. Wait, I missed the most important part. You're yeah. wearing pajama pants? <laughs> what are you sleep naked? Are you, are the underoos? What are you? Kind of. I, they got like elastic I, at the bottom to help. Okay. I live in Florida. Oh, you yeah, sleep yeah, in yeah, underpants yeah. or less or, yeah. or less than is, is okay. what you sleep in yeah. in Florida. Yeah. Wow. I didn't think of it that way. Yeah. Hmm. I yeah. wear two pairs of socks. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say pajama pants. Like, man, I've done no. that. I've done that. In the winter, I've done that. That's happened. Okay, yeah. so wh- why are you tucking them in? Yeah. Why are they tucked in your socks? I don't know. So they don't are you worried the mud in. might get in when you will sleepwalk? No, cold I air. I get it. Yeah, cold I air. I totally get it, Cold Will. air yeah. gets, yeah. really. Because you can feel it on your skin. Yeah. It's, it's yes. rushing up it, in there. It, I know, right yeah. Up. 
By contrast, I have one of those bed fans that yeah. blows a waft of air, cre- creates a cushion of He's air between me and the covers. It's like when you were kids and they used the parachute in elementary school. And you, right. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I, I want parachute. the cold air. When I was younger, I slept with no socks, a t-shirt, sometimes mm-hmm. shorts on. Mm-hmm. Now, cut to pajama pants tucked in socks. I have to use long sleeves. Uh-huh. I use an extra blanket on top of a comforter that my wife does not use. And this is the most part that I have to make sure my wife doesn't see. This is the definitely the lights out part. I hide it under my oh. pillow until oh. she's- Do you wear a hat? I wear a hat. But this hat <laughs> is- wear- <laughs> It's not like I'm a not- nice stocking like- or- I was making up the most ridiculous no. thing possible so you could say, no, not that, John. No, it's true. I do. <laughs> like a beanie it is i thought it was going to be like look the picture of the guy was a very handsome athletic looking guy had this hat on which you could use for like jogging when it's cold out or wear it at Mm -hmm. night it's kind of thin and tight fitting it's like a russian hunting cap with the flaps that come out over your ears not one of those i have one of those too I have one too, but I got it in Russia. (laughs) It wasn't for sleeping. No, I got mine on Amazon and I have slept in that hat before. I have. have. I've seen that hat. You slept in that? Yes, I have. One day you'll get indoor heating. But when I put this cap on, John, I look like a little old lady. It's really bad. And so I let my wife see it once as a joke, but I took that thing immediately off and I never let her see it again. Wow. Wow. But that all said, my point is when I go to bed, I'm freezing. Now in the middle of the night, I take mm. off the hat, you know, and maybe adjust the blankets. So the reason I wake up in a cold sweat is not because I'm so bundled up. I don't think. Right. Because immediately after I wake up, push off the blankets, cool myself down, I am freezing mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. And I got to get back under the blankets and do all the stuff e- again. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> Am I having hot flashes? Yes, you are. Actually, my husband has noted that he is having them okay. too. He has yes. the same, same thing. Although he doesn't. Judging, is it? Doesn't Maybe it's because you're wearing seven layers to bed and no. tucking your pants in your socks. Maybe that's why you're getting sweaty. Have you, could, have you considered changing your behavior to see if that impacts the outcome? I need a fan like you. Just, I need both. Just underpants, get in the blankets, yeah. th- try it. Try I wish it. I could. Will needs like a hot air. You know, like in the grocery store when they have hot yeah. air blasting down. <laughs> you walk in the door? In. Yeah. Will needs one of those yes, blasting down. We don't do that in Florida either. Because Oh yeah, John doesn't know what that is. Yeah. Why would I blast hot air down? Yeah. There's hot air outside already. <laughs> As soon as you open the door, it's all hot air. It's done. So you do get it. Yeah, that's true. Oh. Oh my goodness. But we did talk about this cat that men can have them. We read that somewhere. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I, I don't have yeah. them, you know, during the day though. Oh, actually I had one right before we were recording. Oh, you did? <laughs> and yeah, one of my lights was out. So yeah. I'm like, get another one out and I'm trying Is that a to euphemism for something? <laughs> My, my blinkers I suppose it not could working. Be. Well, oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Goodness. What, me? <laughs> I don't even know what that, what you meant, meant, said meant. <laughs> One of my headlights. Oh, okay. I see. Now, now I see <laughs> that could be a menopause thing. <laughs> I guess how would be, how would it have been functioning before? <laughs> One of these things is not like the other. Huh. 
but I found myself getting like, like I was all annoyed and frustrated. Yeah. And then I realized, oh, I'm, I'm having a hot flash. Which I could was, just make you feel more frustrated. And- well, yeah, uncomfortable mm. and oppressed. It's very Same. oppressive mm. and, and uncomfortable. Yes. Well, on the show, uh, yeah. Barrymore starts, you know, stripping down. I mean, she has a jacket on, she takes the jacket <laughs> off, you know, and Jennifer Aniston is really quick to help her there because as a result of mm-hmm. taking the jacket off, she has to move her lapel mic and she helps her take it off, right. put it on her shirt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's sweet. Mm-hmm. It is. It's very sweet yes. and sincere as they sort of, Aniston, I imagine, has experienced yeah. it already because she's older and is sort of talking mm-hmm. her, you know, through mm-hmm. it or comforting her through it. Mm-hmm. Um, after she jokes yeah. that uh, she's honored that uh, it's yes. happening there <laughs> while she's there. Yeah. Um, after watching Drew's experience live on TV, many fans flocked to social media to praise the actor for speaking so openly about perimenopause and for acknowledging mm-hmm. the moment. Aww. So, well, I wonder if any of our listeners yes. will, were feeling validated and, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, you know, it's okay to talk about these right. uncomfortable body things. Email cat <laughs> at 1980snow.com. <laughs> That's right. Please do. I would be interested in finding out if any of our listeners felt validated yep. hearing about the bizarre sleeping practices that Will has to see like, I thought it was only me. I want to know too. That's true. If you wear a hat Wait. or you tuck your pants into your socks. <laughs> now, if you live in the South, it doesn't count. Do you have the, the, the head to toe, long sleeve, long pants, <laughs> like the heavy <laughs> underwear that no, has John. the two buttons on the butt that you can undo like in the no. cartoons? Do you have I'm those not in the Victorian those era novel, no. Those would be cool. Footy jammies. I think Will needs footy Although jammies. I have joked with my wife about having someone put coal in the, like a thing on the bed. You ever seen that in the old? <laughs> wow. They, they tuck it between Abbey. the mattresses. Yeah, they put coal at the bottom. Yeah. How about a hot water bottle? Yeah. Cat, <laughs> uh, I could get there. I don't know. I, I'd like everybody to email me if you have any sleeping habits like Will, so then I can share them. Oh, because you the think I won't? Episode. You don't think I right. would? I will absolutely delete those. No, I know you would. Hey, as reported by uh, Deadline and other 1980s news, was Dungeons and Dragons box office enough to start a franchise? Mm. So look, the three of us have all seen it. Uh, what did yes. you guys, I mean, you know, we're not going to have to go into a particular review or spoilers mm-hmm. of, it, of that sort, but uh, what did you guys think about it overall? I thought it was fun. I have no idea what Honor Among Thieves means. Mm. Oh. Just, that was the weirdest subtitle. I mean- Okay, they, well, they stole mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, but I mean, the honor among thieves—that really—that was a weird subtitle. And I said mm-hmm. that when it first came out. I'm like, that's the most boring subtitle ever. That could have been much better. Mm-hmm. That didn't tell the story of what happened in this film. That being said, I thought it was a lot of fun. I I really enjoyed yeah. it. There were uh, uh, they took they took the liberties you needed to take with a film like that yeah. with the Dungeons and Dragons source material in order to have an interesting film, which was okay with mm-hmm. me. And I know they had a consultant on set, uh, and they actually took. Like they had discussions like, okay, so, so the wild shape, you can only do that twice a day. Well, our wild shape needs to do it more often. So we're going to break that rule because the movie, right? We have mm-hmm. to do a movie mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, but I'll say that my favorite part is the, uh, the on-screen representation of the gelatinous cube is like, yeah. like they pulled it out of my brain. Yeah. It's exactly, exactly the way I always imagined it, mm-hmm. especially how the guy was slowly dissolving inside of it. I'm like, that's Ooh. how it's supposed to be. That was yeah. so cool. <laughs> so exciting he's dissolving yes <laughs> correctly i loved it i mm. thought it was fun absolutely mm, fun. um and i i loved the dialogue i loved a lot of the the writing in it like uh, just the the goofy jokes and the mm-hmm. and the different conversations that they were having i just was laughing a whole lot at it 
Yeah. So the banter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The banter. The banter was great. Mm-hmm. Certainly there were a lot of things that I'm sure whoosh, went right over my head. <laughs> and I forgot oh. about But you enjoyed heard, it. Who cares? Well, you had to get every reference. You had a good time. Matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. it doesn't matter. How about the mimic, Will? Do you like the uh, representation of the mimic? Yeah, on the screen? Uh, yeah. Everything was, you know. Uh, yes, I thought that? You, you knew when they were when they were in a maze and these people mm-hmm. were pulling stuff out of chest. You knew one had to be a mimic yep. based on yep every all the homages and honor to the you know the lore that we had prior to that. Yeah. And Wait, what was the mimic? It's the, yeah, the uh, so a mimic is a creature that can mimic a like wood and stone and metal and whatever. So it was the the treasure chest. That they were uh-huh. trying to, uh, they opened the treasure chest and it was a chomp mm-hmm. chomp, it was a, like a Pac-Man with a giant fork tongue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, 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 that was the mimic, yeah. that thing? Yeah, it, it okay. mimics things yeah. though that you, you know, you, you drop your defenses, you don't think it's a monster, you think it's a furniture, you know. So. Okay, gotcha. And it's, it's to the, you know, sort of, sort of uh, synthesizing your opinion and John's opinion, Kat, that you didn't have to know about these things to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. There was a way in which it was written that, uh, you know, respected and didn't uh, respected the lore and didn't, uh, what do they call that? Do just straight up fan service for the sake of fan service. I don't mm-hmm. know. It felt okay. like they did yeah. it in a way that was, I don't know, not, uh, we've seen in other, you know, franchises that just uh, mm-hmm. read something, you know, check yeah. through the checklist. Sure. And, and there yeah. was no gatekeeping for non D&D fans who didn't know the lore. Right. If oh. you saw something that was interesting- they showed you how it worked just enough that you might go, oh, cool, they made up this monster for this movie. You don't right. have mm-hmm. to know that that monster's been around for 40 years. It makes no difference. Right. right. If you knew it, right. you're like, ooh, cool. Is that how I imagined it? That's neat. Mm-hmm. But they didn't like, well, if you don't know, you're not going to understand. They didn't like approach it that way. And so okay. I think if you didn't know mm-hmm. D&D, you, weren't, you didn't feel left out. You, you, were, you were invited to the party like everybody else. And that's yeah. great because you guys did have concerns about it being too fan service mm-hmm. or something. Yeah, but, yeah. So it sounds like you didn't think so. Yeah, or in a way that too was, fast and loose. Or disconnected <laughs> from the, yeah. you know, the uh, okay. actual yeah. story. Yeah. Uh, and also, right. you, Kat, you pointed out the dialogue. I thought what was really cool is I'm glad the movie wasn't, and this isn't, this isn't a spoiler. You can tell, I believe, from the trailers. I'm glad mm-hmm. it didn't, it wasn't, or maybe the twist wasn't that these were kids playing at a, playing a game and we were just watching right. their story unfold. Right. I'm glad they didn't do that. But the dialogue was written in a way that uh, players often converse about these situations. You know, mm. when you're coming up with a plan of like, how are we <laughs> going to get this thing? Or you really screwed that up. It was done in such a casual and fun and light way that, you know, you, you could have been with your buddies play, playing mm-hmm. the same mission that these guys had to go on. So I thought that was super cool. I decided if I were ever going to play D&D, I want to be like, yeah. I forget their names, but the redhead uh-huh, with the horns. Right? Mm-hmm. The tiefling. Or yeah. tiefling or um, what was her name? The badass. Holga. Mm-hmm. Holga. Yeah. That's right. Holga. It was probably I a be one of them. barbarian, even though they didn't say it. But I would think. A barbarian. Right. She's okay. almost a berserker. <laughs> like, oh, well, yeah. I was thinking that. Look, now we're getting super like, nerdy. And I can say yeah, pedantic again because we're, I think we're I think we're all saying that. And John said it in the last episode because we're trying to you know cut off Craig Anderson for making any posts that would otherwise correct us. But not oh, to no. be pedantic, <laughs> but I think maybe she was raging. You know how barbarians have the ability to rage in fights, mm-hmm. and so they get this okay. kind of extra sort of power. All right, that's as yeah. nerdy as we need to get. Now, look, this is minor spoilery, <laughs> right? My favorite absolute Easter egg, which doesn't ruin the story, and they okay. see it in some of the trailers, is that we get to see a version, a live-action version <laughs> of the animated Dungeons & Dragons characters from the 1980s <gasps> TV series. Yeah. Yep, that was cute. Uh, we don't have to say what happens, but it was just mm-hmm. to see them there, you know, embodied was really fantastic. Mm-hmm. 
Um, of course that show aired from 83 to 85 and it was a Saturday morning thing. It was one of those things I most look forward to in that Saturday block of cartoons when it was still on the show. Uh Um, and I wish they, I wish more came of it, but, uh, we haven't really, mm -hmm. haven't had anything of, uh, and and I'm gathering that you both, the instant that, that they, you, you, you just knew the, the thing that I saw first, the first thing I saw was the tall green kind of wizarding hat. And I saw that I'm like, right. why? That's like a like a solid green color on someone. And then I looked like I pulled back focus. Like that's almost the whole party. It's like yeah. so many of them there. Cool. And, and, yep. and the live action versions of the characters, however, were not played as Variety reported no. by the voice actors. Uh, that's no. Oh, I mean the voice actors yeah, included. I saw that mention. That's Adam Rich, mm-hmm. who just unfortunately passed away, and Donnie Most, uh, you know, of Happy Days fame. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. older gentlemen. They were not. This was played by new young yeah, actors. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, we love the film, so I'm hoping there are more to come. And certainly, it seems mm-hmm. they set up in a way that it, there could be or not. I think yeah, it could go either way. Yeah, yeah. Well, the mm-hmm. opening weekend saw the film get thirty-eight and a half million dollars box office uh, domestically. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Though north of the thirty million dollars that it was on track to get, it's still below a forty million mark, which I guess is a magical number to somebody. Mm-hmm. And globally, it took in an additional thirty-three million dollars, so it raked in seventy-one and a half million dollars opening weekend. That's not bad. No, uh, but despite that, uh, you know, I guess we don't—we're not in the business, so we don't know whether or not that's substantial enough to warrant a franchise. Mm-hmm. But Deadline says no; they don't think so. They don't think it's enough. Ah, but the mm-hmm. the Paramount executives remain optimistic, saying. We're just getting started. So even as of this uh, episode airing, they may be uh, further along enough to, uh, you know, have uh, the uh, studio heads uh, mm-hmm. greenlighting a sequel soon. That would be amazing. I yeah. wouldn't mm-hmm. mind. I got attached to them. Two interesting things about yeah. that too. That article describes that, first of all, there are a lot of extenuating circumstances why it might not have hit a certain number. There was, yes. a, there were weather issues. There were other things going on, right? There are all kinds of stuff happening. Right. So it, and the next film coming out is this Mario movie, which right. is a purely kids movie. And so D&D is going to be <laughs> the last big blockbuster you haven't seen yet after the kids have seen the Mario movie. So there's a lot of potential for mm-hmm. having sure. legs. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I, I thought about was that there's nothing that says that you kind of want, if you're setting up a franchise, you maybe kind of want it to have a lot of those same characters again, but there's no need for it to be. That's true. Sure. D&D is an entire world. We right. could go and see maybe one or two of them go off. Maybe we... We go on, you could have a whole different cast, do a whole mm-hmm. other different adventure in the same world um, hmm. in, without paying Chris Pine money, maybe, you know, I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> true. And I feel like Hugh, Hugh Grant, every time I saw Hugh Grant in the movie, before the movie, promotional material, I felt like he didn't want to be in it. Did you pick <gasps> right? up on that? Oh my gosh, that the preview or not preview, whatever in the it was beginning, before right, the movie before, started. Like, thank you for coming to the theater and yeah, seeing our film weird. in the theater where it's yeah. supposed to be. And he was just sitting there like he didn't care. And that's, I've always seen him like that. Like, oh, I don't know why he was well, in I, yeah. He seemed so detached. Uh, <laughs> oh yes. Uh, I've seen, yeah, I've seen some red carpet interviews. I've seen some show talk show interviews and he always seems kind of mm-hmm. curmudgeon But I heard mm-hmm. another, uh, on another show, they comment that they think it's just his sort of dry British way. Well, yeah, I can see that too. Yeah. Because I thought he was I, great in the film and I was he was the guy I was most yeah. worried about. Right. He was a fine actor. I liked him in the film. Yeah. I just don't think mm-hmm. he wanted to be there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or at least the wrong. promotional yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, he, that's for sure. Yeah, but no, I, I thought, yeah, he was fi- like mm-hmm. great in the movie and we saw so much more of him than I anticipated. I don't know why <laughs> I thought that. Mm. Maybe because we were joking about it was oh. an NPC. 
Yeah, I guess he was just like an in the promotional <laughs> material. It wasn't clear what role he had in the film. Right. He was like a main character, but you didn't see him alongside the other characters, which becomes right. immediately evident when the film starts how that got that way. Right. But, sure, yeah. yeah, yeah. But he was basically part of the main cast <laughs> before they got broken up at the beginning. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I look forward to you know it's not it's not going to be streaming for some time, but uh, I look mm-hmm. forward to, to seeing it again as well because I mm-hmm. think it could be equally as fun seeing it a second time. Oh yeah. And that was 1980s. <laughs> Our independent podcast is brought to you every week by folks just like you. So if you'd like to help us out, please follow us on the podcast platform you're listening to right now. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Share an episode on Facebook. All of these actions just take a moment and are 100% free. But if you'd like to chuck in a buck and help us keep publishing the show week after week, please visit us at 1980snow.com slash support to find out how you can send us a dollar or two. And thank you so much. It means a lot. Um, All right. Hey, today we're going to be talking about, and again, this is inspired by my conversation with Luxury from just a few days ago. You should check that out. And you should check out his uh, TikTok, Instagram. He's on all the socials. He's a guy who has taken upon himself, in addition to his, you know, songwriting career, he's Mm -hmm. taken upon himself to, in like 30 or 45 second segments, educate the public about music. You know, popular I started music. checking these out. Yeah. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it's, it. And mm-hmm. It's really brilliant mm-hmm. uh, what he's able to accomplish in a short amount of time as far as the yeah. information dump, making it interesting and engaging. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you feel like you walk away knowing something about a song you love. Uh-huh. So inspired by that, we're going to talk about the top 10 sample or most sampled uh, songs of all time. Now, I, I told cool. you earlier, asterisks, mm-hmm. because. So I got this list off of whosampled.com. When I was a young person, and prior to the internet, and prior to whosampled.com, knowing mm-hmm. a sample was just recognizing, oh, I know what that mm-hmm. is. I hear that, you know? Mm-hmm. Something fun about that, like treasure hunting, yeah. you know, where you have it, to- Yes. Now, you just go straight to whosampled.com and you can find it. They are, they are the resource for this sort of information, and they provided what they, uh, just by statistics, and, and mm-hmm. it's a crowdsourced thing, Mm-hmm. Uh, this uh, number of top tens. Now I, I left out three of them and I'll tell you which three I left out. So uh, the three songs I left out, and it's going to be no surprise mm-hmm. that a lot of these, the source for a lot of these songs is uh, R&B songs you know, that are being mm-hmm. sampled. And mm-hmm. oftentimes yep. the songs sampling them are hip hop songs. It's not always the case, but uh, sure, yeah. But three of the songs on here that they say are the most sampled, and this was surprising to me, are hip hop songs themselves, ah. uh, including... Uh, uh, let's see here. Slick Rick and uh, Dougie Fresh's mm. song, Lottie Dottie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Public Enemies Bring the Noise. So these are the ones you're not including, right? This yes, is the ones you're I'm not including these. Okay, and right. all for the same reason. And Run DMC's uh, Here We Go, Live at the Funhouse. And the reason why is because okay. based on the examples that they provided of songs that sampled them, based on what I know about these songs, what's being sampled is words. So in Lottie Dottie, he says, mm-hmm. Lottie Dottie, we like to party or, you know, hit mm-hmm. it. You know, that's from there. Public Enemy, the song is bass. How low can you go? So people are sampling that. And Mm -hmm. here we go at the fun, uh, live at the Funhouse. DMC says, uh, ah, yeah, check this out, which is sampled in tons (laughs) of dance songs, especially, but also hip hop songs and other things. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm more fan of the drum beats and other, you know, musical aspects. So that's what we're going to be talking about with one exception that I couldn't leave off because it's just, I think Uh. it's a thing that uh, will be of interest to you because of, um, how high it is in this top 10 and hmm. 
what the source is of this particular sample that I guarantee you guys have heard. Okay. So your 10 are in a particular order then? <clears throat> are they going in order of increasing yes. uh, samplitude? We're going to count Sample down. Yes. Frequency or? Yes. Samplitude. Yeah. So I, I added in three other songs that weren't otherwise in the top 10. And I, don't, I think a couple of them might've been in the top 15. Mm-hmm. They're probably all in the top mm-hmm. 20, but I, I added them in because they're samples that I know you're familiar with. I know our listeners mm-hmm. familiar with. Uh, and so in that sense, they're more interesting. Um, but okay. other than that, yeah, we're gonna, just going to go in from the, the least uh, popular to the most popular, including the three that I added here. So the mm-hmm. first one I guess I'm going to tell you about. Hit it. <laughs> Hit it. Uh, I was going to say, when yeah. I want to know something about a sample, I just text yeah. Will. <laughs> I don't go to a website. And, you know, Kat, and that's fun <laughs> for me because the first thing I do is I'm like, all right, let me just think. Like, can I hear? And if I can't think of it, I'll listen to it. Can I uh-huh. recognize it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think almost every time I'm able to do that. But yeah, yeah. if I couldn't, I'd go to whosample.com. Oh, there you go. <laughs> All right. The first song I want to talk to you about is our top 10 most sampled song. It's Apache from the incredible mm. Bongo Band. Does that enough yeah. conjure anything to you? Um, no, not for me. No. no. The incredible Bongo Band, by the way, if you, mm-hmm. it's a kind of band you have to check out, including their first album, a Bongo Band, which is just a fantastic and amazing funky record that I guarantee you listen to it, you're going to recognize a bunch of different uh, clips uh-huh. and songs that are on there. But the, they were a project started in 1972 by a gentleman named Michael Viner, mm-hmm. who was a record artist, manager, and executive at MGM Records. He was called okay. upon to supplement the soundtrack of the B film, The Thing with Two Heads. Oh. Do you guys remember that movie? <laughs> um, I've heard of it, but I'm sure I didn't watch it. <laughs> I, maybe I saw it on MST3K. It is a movie that traumatized me as a child. Uh oh! I will never forget this movie. When I tell you the premise, maybe you'll you'll remember it, or okay, it'll just seem right. like a fever dream or a hot flash dream, if that's a such thing. Hot flash dream, or a bundled it's, up pajama dream. It's a 1972 film, <laughs> or John's nightmare. Of a bundled up pajama nightmare for John. He tucked in uh, pajama pants. His fan's not working, and he finds his pajama pants are tucked. No. First, he's wearing pants. His shorts are tucked into his socks. <laughs> oh, no. That's, well, it's a that's dream. a whole extra problem. It's a nightmare. That's, yep. Doesn't have to make sense. Okay. So it's, <laughs> this thing with two heads is a 1972 film in which the head of a dying racist played by uh, Ray Milan. What? He, he's grafted onto the body of a prison inmate played by a football player turned actor Rosie Greer. Oh. Does this hmm. ring in any bells? Wow. Uh, I think I haven't seen oh it. My gosh, it's, it's too new for what I thought it was. Okay. 72. Huh. It's bonkers. And the mm. idea that you could transplant a head on another body. Again, I was like, this came out in 72. I must've seen it when I was, you know, I don't know, five, six years old or something. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Transplant a body. And then this head, what happens is <laughs> Rosie Greer escapes prison. And so mm-hmm. the guy who was, look, it's a terrible premise. This, this racist mm-hmm. gets transplanted on the body of an African-American man. So he's like, this is horrible. Now I'm living this horrible life. But the fact that he was oh trying to take gosh. advantage of this prisoner, you know, mm-hmm. that, that's the real uh, yeah. monstrosity, obviously. Right. But yeah. Rosie Greer escapes prison and obviously Ray Milan has no choice but to go along with him. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Oh and Rosie could just keep punching him. Right? <laughs> <laughs> He's right there. Yeah. Yeah. Shut He's up. Shut up. Yeah. So he's controlling the hands. What I didn't know is that the incredible bongo band was tasked with making music for this movie. That's like, that's a, one of the things that helped launch them. It's that is crazy. 
Um, oh, yeah. Anyway, their first album, Bongo Band, which I told you about, included a cover of Apache, which you it's a song mm-hmm. you've heard a couple different versions, but actually is even older than theirs. It was written by Jerry mm-hmm. Lorden and originally made popular in the U.S. by someone named Jorgen Ingman. It was already popular in the U.K. prior to that. It wasn't a hit upon its release, and it languished in relative obscurity until in the late 1970s, it was used by pioneering DJ Cool Herc as mm-hmm. one of the many songs he used uh, to create these, uh, you know, extended breaks for uh-huh. dancers, for singers at house parties. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And since then, it's been sampled now by countless artists. <laughs> I think I'm in a Tarantino movie. <laughs> I'll help you out here. Yeah, right? Oh, Hatchet, oh. jump on it. Jump, jump on it. Jump on it. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So the Sugar Hill Gang in 1981 doesn't mm. sample it, but they essentially okay. did what would be a cover of the Incredible Bongo Band's version because the mm-hmm. way they, mm-hmm. the Bongo Band, the arrangement of the music and how they mm-hmm. do these breaks is din, din, din. Din, din. Mm-hmm. That's that's uh, specific to the bongo band and not to the yes. original versions. All right. Uh, okay. The Sugar Hills Gang peaked at 53 on the Billboard Hot 100 and number 51 mm-hmm. on the U.S. dance charts, and then uh, number 13 on the U.S. R&B charts. But mm-hmm. theirs is probably not the most. So again, they didn't sample it. Okay. According to who sampled, it's been sampled in 750. Songs and this is this is number ten on the this list. Is number yeah. ten. Seven hundred in the nineteen eighties alone. It was sampled by MC Hammer and Turn This Mother Out mm. and Young MC no. and Know How. But uh, you, mm. you'll hear it most easily in this nineteen uh-huh. nineties song from CNC Music Factory. Yes. Ah, sure. Oh my god, I love this song. <laughs> things that make you go. Robbie Rob, break it down. Why you guys always ask me that? <laughs> John's still getting asked about his virginity. Uh, oh. <laughs> I got to tell you, this is a song that I've trained my kids to identify now. Apache. Apache's in there. Hey, Apache. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's All like right. the Wilhelm scream, but for songs. Yes. All right. Hey, number wow. nine on our uh, top 10 most sampled songs, asterisk. I got that. Oh. <laughs> is that took me a minute. The Soul Searchers Ashley's Roach Clip. Oh, okay. Chuck Brown was the known as the godfather of go-go, which is a oh. subgenre of funk that was yes, developed okay. the, uh, in around the Washington, D.C. area in the 1970s. Along with okay. his band, The Soul Searchers, Brown recorded Ashley's Roach Clip in 1974 on their album Salt. Mm-hmm. I'm going to play you this uh, song that you're not otherwise going to recognize until maybe... When it gets mm, to the okay. the break that's commonly used. It almost sounds like, you know, mm. it was made to be sampled because it just mm. But anyway, it's clean. Any any there's, songs there's, there's, a, there's a clean section in there that I could easily loop, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Any songs mm-hmm. coming to mind when you hear that? Can you do it again? <laughs> no. It's not a quiz though. I shouldn't ask for more. Yeah, no, you don't need to hear it again. The answer could be yes or no. <laughs> Uh, I can feel no. it, but I can't name one. All right, well, I'm gonna, I'll play you a brief compilation of some of the songs that sampled uh, Ashley. Oh, a compilation. Oh. Yeah. Oh, right. Ooh, fancy. Girl, you know oh, okay. 
But for those clips there, uh, might not have been able to identify the fact that that was included uh, Ashley's Roach clip. Many of them are, are right. so layered with other instruments, more mm-hmm. instrumentation mm-hmm. on top of it yes. that I didn't mm-hmm. recognize. But a couple of them, it's it's very, very bare and you can hear it really yeah. clearly. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that becomes mm-hmm. that sort of treasure hunt, part of that treasure hunting aspect of it mm-hmm. is hearing yeah. it. And it's kind of, I, I've done this with my wife and I drive her crazy. I created a playlist years ago, uh, uh, which is songs that were sampled and the song that sampled uh-huh. them. And to uh-huh. make that list for me, that playlist, which now has, you know, dozens and dozens of songs on it, I have to uh-huh. love both songs. Sure. Mm. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. so I drive her crazy when I play a song that I love. I'm like, all right, now listen, it's in this other song. She's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Right there. I don't that hear part. it. <laughs> well, I'm going to play you this other, uh, another song that sampled it, but. To your point, okay. sometimes it's disguised. So in this version, I first slow down Ashley's Roach clip, and then I start adding another element to it. See if you recognize this. Oh, See if you recognize okay. it before the, the other stuff starts okay. coming out of it. Okay. Notice it's slower than the, the sample and slower than the mm-hmm. other songs we heard. Yeah. What do you think? <sighs> right, how about now? It's come undone. That's right. Wow. It's Duran Duran done. Oh. Oh my gosh. So sometimes it takes hearing it by itself first, but then mm-hmm. now you'll hear mm-hmm. it every time you hear the song. You know? So when when you first played it, yep. it was like definitely, you know, there was a little bell ringing, but mm-hmm. I yeah. couldn't quit. Yeah. And the, but then, yeah. <laughs> All, All right. of a sudden. Let me tell you about mm-hmm. uh, number eight. The Honey Drippers okay. impeach the president. Mm. According to who sampled, this was sampled 808 times. What? Okay. Written and produced by Roy C. It was first released in 1973. It's a protest song advocating the impeachment of then President Richard Nixon. Wow. In the chorus, and you've probably heard the song before, in the chorus, the band chants mm-hmm. the song's title while, while Roy persuades them to stop. The song's famous for having its drum pattern being one of the most adapted beats in music. Mm-hmm. With artists okay. like uh, Marley Marl slicing up the sample into its various uh, components, uh, the snare, mm-hmm. put it at, that as a separate sample, the the, the mm-hmm. kick drum, the hi hat, and then playing them however they want. Mm-hmm. So in that, when they wind up doing that, it's almost unrecognizable unless you're familiar mm-hmm. with how. Yeah, and this is that's really well, wonky. I get the trend. I had a Sony sampling keyboard when I was twelve. I get it. <laughs> so it's been sampled by folks such as Nice and Smooth, Janet Jackson, and uh, Diggable Planets. And here is a clip of Impeach the President. Mm. Actually, when they play the rest mm. of it, you recognize it as a song sample oh. from the late '90s, early 2000s. Mm. Yep. Um, I don't know what I was going to play for you because I don't even have it on here. I forget it, whatever. Let's move on. Um, okay, <laughs> hey, let me tell you about number seven here. Hot Pants okay. by Bobby oh, Bird. Like Hot Flash? <laughs> hot Flash. Mm-hmm. Or like Rose Pajamas. Bird. Hot Pants. Yeah, we'll I get it. Hot- <laughs> I've got on Hot Pants. Talk to my hot socks. 
released in 1971. <laughs> it was written by James Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was sampled by, again, tons of people, including, uh, again, according to who sampled by 847 different uh, songs. Here is Hot Pants. Literally. <laughs> So what I'm playing you is actually the Hot Pants bonus beats where they took oh. uh, the beat and some of Bobby Bird's uh, lyrics there and just uh, mm-hmm. gave an opportunity, essentially pressed a, a vinyl uh, that's made it easier for DJs to mix with that that, that beat. Oh, um, how nice of them. It was sampled by hip hop pioneers, including uh, Big Daddy Kane on Raw. You can hear it right. <laughs> Pretty easy to hear there. <laughs> yep. I'm coming. I'm going to turn John onto so much 80s hip hop. Uh, He's not going to need YouTube. far to go. He's not going to need YouTube to recommend it anymore. <laughs> it was also sampled in a number of dance songs of that era, including Black Box, Marky Mark, and this song from the Spice Girls. Yo, Again, it's so overmasked with other stuff that it's yeah. hard to hear it, but back mm-hmm. to back, mm-hmm. you can hear it. All right, hey, let me tell you about number six, Melvin Bliss's Synthetic Substitution. I Hmm. beg your pardon? What are you begging pardon for? (laughs) Is Synthetic Substitution a euphemism for something? Oh, Oh, I didn't even thought about that. John's always looking for euphemisms. (laughs) I am. Uh, (laughs) Wordplay. This song was sampled 864 times, according to who sampled, a 1973 song by by Melvin Bliss. It was originally a Mm B-side opposite a song called Reward. Following the collapse of the parent company, their record label, however, the song failed to chart anywhere. But then- Mm. The song was sampled by the ultra magnetic MCs and many other artists followed suit. And eventually the song became one of the most sampled of all time. That's so familiar. (laughs) Very familiar. Well, it was sampled Mm. by, uh, again, (laughs) hundreds of people. Mm -hmm. But among... Mm -hmm. (laughs) Among those, and I've got to tell you, oftentimes when I'm, you know, giving these uh, examples of uh, different artists that use them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's Eric, Eric B, for example, and Rakim. I could mm-hmm. name them for every single sample here. So instead of trying to mix it up when I give you examples, otherwise I could probably tell you, Gangstar <laughs> sampled all these. NWA sampled all these. You know? Okay. I mean, seriously. Yeah. For example, this uh, Melvin Bliss's synthetic substitution was in fact sampled by Gangstar, Wu-Tang, Public Enemy, and probably most notably, by a naughty by nature in this 1991 hit. Oh, sure. I am down. I'm going to take it out down before we have to explain to Kat what OPP stands for. I think I know. Well, no, I don't She's remember. really wondering. I, re- I don't remember, but I looked it up one time. For oh my some God. Reason, she was and- like, thank God the internet. I can finally look up what OPP stands for. That song's been out for a decade. <laughs> I think we'll, we'll pull that OPP? riff and do it. Yeah, you know me, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah right. That song, okay. You down with GXG? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know me. <laughs> mm-hmm. That sounds a little cleaner. Oh, that. <laughs> it is a little bit. Love that, John. That's great. You should do that for sure. <laughs> I'll just remain blissfully unaware of the right, other good, one. Good, good, good. Yeah. It's uh, other, other people's, people's podcasts. Problems. Oh, okay. Problems. Other, oh, people's pro- podcasts. other people's podcasts, yeah, other people's yeah. problems. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, John and I quickly coming up with a synthetic substitution. <laughs> Just making up names. We could synthetic come up with. Substitution. Yes. We're on that. 
right. Hey, let me tell you about number five, James Brown. Finally, we're getting to it. Now, James Brown already, as Ooh, you might have yeah. heard or imagined, probably as far as single most artist sample, that would be James Brown. And because not only, you know, individually does appear on this list more than once, I've already mentioned mm-hmm. Bobby Bird, a song, mm-hmm. you know, Hot Pants, I'm Coming, that was written by James Brown. James Brown. Yeah. What is Cat laughing at? Hot Pants, I'm Coming. I don't see what that's funny. Hot Pants, no. I'm Coming. That's Will when he's getting ready to bed. <laughs> Hot Pants, I'm Coming. Uh, that's too perfect. <laughs> Hot Pants, I'm Coming. Jesus, hot pants, hang in there. I'm coming. It's my nickname now. Yeah. I'm coming. I'm coming, coming, coming for you. All right, well, let me tell you about a serious entry. Uh, James Brown's Funky President, sampled 949 times. Written by Brown himself, it was released as a single in 1974 and reached number four on the R&B charts that year. According to Brown, this Funky mm-hmm. President... Uh, meant the United States President Gerald Ford, who had succeeded mm-hmm. Richard Nixon in the White House shortly before the song was recorded. Mm-hmm. Funky. Down. Oh. <laughs> Nasty. Hey, listen to the man. Again, you know, sort of like when we talked about uh, secret cover songs. I mean, mm-hmm. I would say all of these songs in their own right are fantastic. You know? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. While it was sampled as early as 1981, it's been sampled as recently as 2022 by mm-hmm. contemporary artists like Donald Glover's alter ego, Childish Gambino. Mm-hmm. And while it was sampled by early hip hop artists like Spoonie G and Busy B and legends like NWA, Digital Underground, LL Cool J, it may be most easily recognized in this track by Salt and Peppa. What you gonna do? <laughs> oh, it. Of course, they also interpolate uh, It's Your Thing. Uh, thank you, Cat. Yes. Uh, <laughs> a completely different artist. All right. Hey, let me tell you about uh, James Brown's, uh, another James Brown song. He also makes it on the chart here at number four mm-hmm. with Funky Drummer. Okay. I just say that you mm-hmm. guys already know what I'm talking about, right? Okay. Uh, um, no, that's okay if you don't. I really I, have no I sense could, of- I couldn't hum it. Okay. I really have no <laughs> sense of how- yeah you know, uh, how much this kind of stuff has saturated or seeped into mm-hmm. late people, mm-hmm. you know, I guess. Yeah. Well, one time I asked you about a, yeah. a sample and mm-hmm. you told me it was James Brown and okay. I thought it was Prince, but it was originally huh. James Brown and it was that little it's like a little guitar thing. Oh. But I'm assuming that's not it because you're talking yeah. about a drummer. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So, okay. You're so talking that, about from, from Kiss, that diggity diggity, that. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. I don't remember what. I th- yeah, I don't remember what you had from, asked me. You thought it's. It was from the magic it. number. Oh, I, oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. We could do a whole show yeah. just on songs. Yeah. The, the sample's just in that <laughs> song. Right. Yes. Uh, but yeah. we won't. Yeah. It, it might have been more interesting this, than this countdown I'm doing. But whatever. Here we go. Here we are. This was a last minute thing. The thing I wanted <laughs> to do didn't work out. Time. All right. Hey, uh, so uh, Funky Drummer was released as a single in, in 1970. It's not quite a song. It's more like an extended vamp. Like oh. if you're a big fan of James Brown, which I mm-hmm. am, a lot of his songs, okay. even the, his songs, inevitably mm-hmm. have him barking orders at his band. <laughs> <laughs> and I, yep. you know, I joke about it, like, uh, get up, get into it. I, I like to uh-huh. pretend like, I think it's Bobby Bird in that song too, who's, uh-huh. you know, James Brown's calling out something and Bobby Bird has to respond. And, 
You know, the, 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 <laughs> James Brown expected you to just be on your game, top of your game. Oh my gosh. And his band, the JBs, they were such mm-hmm. that during mm-hmm. a song, he could say, I want you to do this. And they would do it. And we're talking about, wow. and you just record it and they put it on a record. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh. Wow. So he calls out to the horn. Hey, horns, hit me one time. Fan. Hit me two times. Fan. Fan. Give me three times. Fan, fan, fan. I mean, and if you don't so, do that, there, there would be hell to pay. I mean, you know, according to his biographers. I mean, so that was spontaneous. It's not like they rehearsed that. They just. They probably had, of, they may have had multiple recordings, but there, there's some, and there's wow. a song yeah. on here that's, wow. that's number two on the list. Uh-huh. That is a song where it's believed it was just recorded in one take at one time. All the everyone just participating at one time. That was it done. <laughs> wow. The problem with hit me three times is like, are they going to be quarter notes? Are they going to be triplets? Are they going to be sixteenth notes? John, how do I know what three times? John, I think that every time I hear him say that, I mean, what I gave you is oh, an example, and and that's the way it goes. Yeah. It was, hit me one time, and eh, hit me two times, and mm-hmm. eh, eh, hit me three times, and eh, and eh, and. Eh. I don't well, know. Is, <laughs> is it the, the answer is you have to get it all done in one beat. So whatever Maybe, it takes. Yeah, so yeah. Okay. subdivide it. I don't but know. Even yeah. the musicians like, uh, did they talk? I mean, you know, did they work? Mm. Look, if he's going to bark at us yeah. to hit us one time or two times, if he gets up to hit us yeah. like an odd number, seven times, I, I, how are we going to break that down? <laughs> hit me five times. Diggy did that done. Okay, fine. Sure. Ooh. I got to count John, John's diggities. Diggy did done done. Diggy done done. He got it. Yeah. Diggy done done. Diggy D, dun, 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 dun. Yeah, the five. He gave five. five. I hit you five times, man. He is a musician. <laughs> you did. I'm not a poser. Hit it. So, in this song, so in this song, <laughs> he, he, you know what's crazy in this song too is if you listen to the full version of it is, it's it's this combination of him barking at different, you know, guys. All right, now guitar player, you do that. I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I'm improvising now my own thing. Guitar, <laughs> yeah. you do that. Okay, now horns, you do that. I think the mm-hmm. horn thing I just referenced is actually in Funky Drummer. Mm-hmm. Um, but then... He'll start singing. Is he, he might be making those words up too. I mean, this guy was like a genius. Yeah. Well, Eddie Murphy famously had a bit about James Brown barking at his, his yes. band. He, oh he had this whole gosh, bit where he yeah. would be screaming at them. Yeah. 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 It's a great bit. Great bit. Might have been a delirious or raw. I forget. Oh. One of those. Yeah. Oh, okay. oh yeah. Oh, and his, yes. Yeah. And his stand-up. Yeah, you're right. That's right. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Not SNL. So anyway, most of his mm-hmm. ad lib stuff is him encouraging the, the the various members of the band to do different things. Right. So late in the encouraging. song. <laughs> yeah. Encouraging. Yeah. It, mostly it sounds encouraging. I don't think you have a, okay. of recording him freaking out on anybody. But oh. late in the song, he tells legendary JB's drummer, Clyde Stubblefield, he says to mm-hmm. him, and I'm quoting here, quote, you don't have to do no soloing, brother. Just uh-huh. keep what you got. Don't turn mm-hmm. it loose because it's a mother. So End quote. So in the song, he's giving everybody a little solo. So he tells the band uh-huh. right before this, we're going to give the drummer some. He's going to mm-hmm. go and do his own thing. But mm-hmm. then in the song, he tells the drummer, don't do a solo, which is, you know, usually some kind of crazy, you know, riff on. Yeah. Just keep doing what you're doing because it's so fantastic all by uh, itself. Okay. We want to hear it clean. And okay. boy, was uh-huh. he right. Because as uh-huh. I mentioned, this is the fourth most sampled song, uh, according mm-hmm. to who sampled. And after he gives the drummer heads up that we're coming to you, he, start, he sings this. Okay. Oh, I forgot. That's what it is. So what he does is he says, look, we're going to give the drummer something, right? Uh-huh. And, when you, and when when I count to four, we're going to give the, let the drummer go. And then he starts uh-huh. singing. So now they're just uh-huh. waiting 
When is he going to count to four? We don't know because now he's making up lyrics. <laughs> and that's that, that's what this three, is. One, two, three, four. Send my shade. Good God. About the white minute. You're on edge. Send my shade. And poor Clyde's double field's just got to get ready to keep going, doing what he's doing. Send my shade. I want some blow. I want to pop some blow. One, two, three, four. Get it. And he's, he warned them earlier, when I count four again, all uh-huh. of you come back in. Oh so now they're waiting for that. Yeah. Ain't it punky? Ain't it funky? Listen. Ain't it punky? Mm-hmm. Oh, that was quick. Right? <laughs> yeah. To John's point was, earlier, yeah. The other one was <laughs> That's the one, timing of these two. And then it's, that was one, two, three, four. It wasn't even. It was a one, two, three, four. It was on the <laughs> end. Like, oh, ah, two, I was ready. I thought yeah. I, had, I had one more no. beat. Yeah, we're already in it. <laughs> Wow. So in 1986 alone, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, now classic hip hop tracks South Bronx by Boogie Down Productions, Eric B is president, mm-hmm. and it's a demo sampled this beat, helping mm-hmm. popularize sampling generally, and this beat in particular. Did mm-hmm. you guys recognize it at all? Based on just being I, by itself like that? It was familiar, but I can't tell you what it is or where I heard it. It it, it sounded so much like James Brown that I hadn't yet associated it with anyone else yet, but I'm sure I will hear it. Mm -hmm. Well, it's since Mm -hmm. been sampled by hip hop acts, including Public Enemy, NWA, LL Cool J, Run DMC, and the Beastie Boys, Mm -hmm. and later pop musicians, including Madonna, recently Ed Sheeran, and Mm -hmm. George Michael from this 1990s song. So it's not right. in there yet. Not in there yet. Okay. When it comes in, you'll know. I, I, I think I know. Sadly, and uh, very cool. Luxury and I touched base on this on, on our, our recent conversation. Stubblefield mm-hmm. did not receive a songwriter credit for Funky Drummer. Oh. And he's received no royalties for the sampling. What? Again, sampled almost 1,800 times. He didn't receive any money for it. He told the New York Times in 2011, quote, it didn't bug me or disturb me, but I Mm -hmm. think it's disrespectful not to pay people for what they use, end quote. Mm -hmm. Truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and you could listen to my conversation with Luxury for maybe a way to address this because- Right, right. There's got to, something's got to happen. And even copyright laws Mm -hmm. that exist today and historically he's- had this seemingly racial component where mm-hmm. certain groups are left out mm-hmm. of the um, mm-hmm. financial arrangements and other groups mm-hmm. seem to benefit. Sure. And yeah. it's kind of a slippery slope too, because it's like you want to, you want to be able to give some compensation to who yeah. you're sampling, but you also mm-hmm. don't want to throttle creativity by requiring so much compensation mm-hmm. yeah. that it's, you're yeah. not going to want to sample anyone. Right. So sure. it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, mm-hmm. the solution, again, not to get too wonky here, because we talk about it on, on the interview, but yeah. uh, the solution probably is like what we talked about when we talked about mechanical royalties that we talked about yeah. how anybody can cover anybody's song. You just have to pay them whatever the statute says, unless you negotiate sure. something else. We mm-hmm. should have that for sampling. Sample anything you mm-hmm. want, but the law requires you have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And here's the yeah. fee. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know mm-hmm. what it is. And you know what it is ahead of time. You know? mm-hmm. All right, let me, we're getting mm-hmm. into the top three here. So here's number three. This is a song uh, called Change the Beat. Change the beat. Now, if you look at change? it, if you look at it, it looks like change the beat. But mm-hmm. this ah. song, this this the version of the song that we're going to talk about is actually rapped by a rapper beside uh, mm-hmm. who she raps in French. Oh. Okay, um, 
So the, the song itself was written and recorded by oh, Fab oh. Five Freddy and released in 1982. The single features two versions. There's an A-side and a B-side. The A-side has Freddy rapping in both English and French. Hmm. And on the B-side is, is the French version that I mentioned by Rapper Beside. Mm-hmm. It has been sampled 2,600 times. Ooh. What? Okay. <laughs> Just took a huge leap there. And oh my gosh. <laughs> although the song itself is, you know, worth a listen, just even because it's Fat Five Freddy, because it's of a certain era uh, mm-hmm. in hip hop mm-hmm. there in the early 1980s. It's the very end of side B after the song is complete. That includes one of the most sampled sounds of all time. So this is the song itself. As I mentioned, okay. this isn't what's sampled. It's actually at the end of the song, there's okay. the phrase, ah, this stuff is really fresh, but spoken huh. through a vocoder. Okay. Oh. And it's among those words that we hear the one of the most sampled sounds of all time. Let's huh. to that. Where's the beat? Where's the beat? All right, here we go. There's going to be a beep like a tone, and then the music drops out, and we just hear the voice. Recognizable at all? The the timber of the word fresh. I've heard that somewhere before. Uh, Not not the whole thing, but just the fresh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, John, you've heard that seriously. Uh 2640. Well, you probably didn't listen to that many of these. He's songs. heard it that many times. Yeah. <laughs> but you've heard, heard it at least three. <laughs> <laughs> you've heard it uh, some portion of those. Um I'm, I'm assuming I've heard it, but it's, it's Yeah, you have to. Something uh, I'm calling up. So with regard to the voice that was spoken there, um mm-hmm. a lot of people believe and the rumor has long been that it's Freddie speaking the line. But according to Bill Laswell, that name might sound familiar too, because Kat told us about Bill Laswell recently. <laughs> He's credited with who, right. Laswell's credited uh, with uh, producing mm-hmm. the track. He says it was actually mm-hmm. spoken by Roger Trilling, imitating mm-hmm. a record executive who would say things like that. You know, commenting on uh, something being mm-hmm. really okay. wait being a minute, really fresh. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. It's coming to you. Yes. Oh oh oh! This has something to do with Rocket. This has something to do with um. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes! The fresh, yep. Yes! There it is. That sound. Mm-hmm. It's easily the most scratched over sound in music. Uh-huh. First appearing in 1983 on Herbie Hancock's Rocket, which featured this scratch, as we talked about just a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. which was by pioneering uh-huh. DJ Grand Mixer DXT, who's uh-huh. then known as Grand Mixer DST, mm-hmm. a song mm-hmm. that was co written by Bill Laswell. It's before he got married. <laughs> That's what they change the consonant. <laughs> yeah, they change a middle initial. Oh, there you go. <laughs> anyway, you can listen to any number yes. of songs that feature a scratch, and mm-hmm. some good percentage of those that I don't know I is that mm-hmm. they're using that vocoder sound as the the underlying scratch that they're doing. They're using the word "fresh" as spoken by Roger Trilling from Change the Beat" mm. female version side B. And it's oh. how does it, I'm so confused though. How does it sound like a scratch though? Because it's on the record, he's manipulating uh-huh. the record on the turntable. Mm-hmm. Okay, which is how scratching okay. is done. Just the timber so of that vocoder voice is that's rather than a tone. Because you scratched a tone, it would go rear rear because it would yeah. have mm-hmm. a note. 
But if you're getting this fresh, which is coming out of a vocoder, it's like an almost like a neutral pitch. And so you can just do anything with it. This is really cool. I had no idea. Okay. I think I get it. Wow. But uh, that scratch has appeared on any number of songs uh, by uh, Macklemore, Mm -hmm. Eric Eric (laughs) Eurenbachim, Eminem, Britney Spears even includes it. Okay. Here we go. Number two. This brings us to number two. We're getting close. (laughs) I'm already in the pajama pants. I told them I was coming. I came. That doesn't sound right. I went and got them. I put them on. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Number two. Now you look you. fresh. Uh, number two <laughs> is Lynn Collins. Think about it. It was sampled 3,366 times. Yep. Oh my goodness gracious. Up. Recorded by Lynn Collins and released on a single on James Brown's People Records in 1972. It was produced oh. and written by Brown. Uh, and features instrumental backing from his band, the JBs. You just see how much of a mm-hmm. role James Brown played in the development of hip hop just by creating amazing songs. Yeah, yeah. With its raw drum beat, this is the song I was telling you about. With its raw drum beat, mm-hmm. which, was, which was provided by drummer Jabo Starks, and multiple background vocals, many believe it was recorded all together in one take. Oh, and it, it does have that, that vibe. Yeah, if you listen to it, it mm-hmm. has that kind of vibe. Okay. It peaked at number nine on the Billboard best-selling soul singles chart and number 66 on the Hot 100. Mm-hmm. Then it appeared on the 16th volume of the Ultimate Breaks and Beats compilation series in 1986, shortly mm-hmm. before the release of the Emu's SP-1200 sampler, which resulted in this song, Think About It, quickly becoming one of the most sampled songs in the years following. So you guys wouldn't know, and I only know this because I was a DJ at this time, they created mm-hmm. records specifically for DJs to use as break beats, okay. you know, in, in much the way that Cool Herc did, but now they sourced it onto one record. It was completely mm-hmm. copyright infringement because, you know, oh. the, these record producers mm-hmm. would just take all these clips of different songs and put them track after track on a record. Right. It makes it more convenient for you mm-hmm. because you don't have to go swapping out records all the time, but yeah, yeah. they have no, yeah. no right to reproduce all these tracks together. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, you might find a bit that then you'll add to a sample or use as a loop when you're creating a song as a DJ, or it might mm-hmm. have the Shange Labitte uh, phrase on there and then you're scratching over that fresh on there. Mm-hmm. Um, so okay. yeah, that's how we got a lot of those, how DJs sourced, you know, the, a lot of those things back then. And mm-hmm. this was sample. Ultimately, this is sample by again hundreds of thousands of songs uh chub rock de la soul madonna tlc but it's probably best known for a 1988 hip-hop song that was a top 40 hit Mm. i'm gonna play you think about it this song the part that you're gonna recognize i'm not gonna have to play you the other song oh all right he has a lot of faith in us he does you could hear james brown in the back come on (laughs) oh It takes two to make a thing go right? Is that what CNC Music Factory? Is that who that is? No. Um, You're right. It takes two. It uh, it takes two. By Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock. Rob Rob. Bass. Gotcha. It's not CNC. Gotcha. I I get those confused for some reason. I I think I heard a lot of them in the arcade in the the late (laughs) 80s. Over the sounds of the games. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Rob Bass. Yeah, I got it. You didn't recognize a cat? Well, no, no, I recognize the song yeah. and I could, you know, it takes two to make oh, 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 I could mm. hear it in my head, the song, but gotcha. as far as who did it, yeah. I, I couldn't have told you, it, and I was saying at least John yeah. had artists to confuse. I just At least I had a wrong name. answer. You have any you answer. <laughs> <laughs> song, which one's better? Yeah. I don't know which one's better. No. All right. So here's number one. And okay. I, I got to tell you right now, number one is going to be maybe a letdown for you guys. But you're going to oh, learn no. something. And a letdown only okay. because it's a sample that 
It's mm-hmm. been, well, the sample is the Winston's Amen Brother is the name of the song. It's been huh. sampled right. almost 6,100 times. Oh my gosh. Nearly like double twice number as two. much as the last one. Yeah, yeah. almost. So in 1969, the soul group, the Winstons, <laughs> led by Richard Lewis Spencer, released the single Color Him Father, which became a top 10 R&B hit and won a Grammy. At the time, though, the B side of it, Amen Brother, which mm-hmm. is what we're talking about here, went unnoticed mm. until in the 1980s with the rise of hip hop, DJs mm-hmm. began using these records I told you about from break records. Mm. So in 1986, guess what also was on uh, the Ultimate Breaks and Beats record? Ah, man, brother. So among these other old funk and soul tracks that were cleaned up, you know, for DJs to use was Mm -hmm. this song that I'm going to share with you. Okay. While while Ah, man, brother is about two and a half minutes long, it's just a six second clip in the middle of the Mm -hmm. song that's been used by hip hop, dance, and electronic artists for the last three decades. It's performed by drummer Gregory Coleman, Mm-hmm. It's quick, it's aggressive, it's a funky beat. And uh-huh. <laughs> for that reason, um, although I'm going to play you a song that you're going to recognize with this beat in it, it's most often used by electronica, including mm. drum and bass and jungle music, which really started in, started in the 90s. And mm-hmm. now now there's you know tons of songs like this, but uh, mm-hmm. they just use this clip over and over again and cut it up in ways that you can recognize or not. So based on your description- yeah. Like I, I can hear a certain little short segment drum loop in my head Yeah, that uh-huh. I almost think it is, but I okay. couldn't like sing it to you or anything. Okay, so that's cool. I love that. Let me yeah. Yeah. see if this is it. So here, here is the uh, Amen Brother. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Does that seem it's- like maybe it lines up with what you were had in your head, John, or- Yes, a little bit. Yeah. So it's, it's not that particular part of it, but it sounds like mm-hmm. it, the timber is the same as what I had in my head. And I'm picturing, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I don't even know the name of the song, but it's uh, its from one of Ice-T's tracks. It's one, Ooh. two, two, three. I'm the MC called Ice-T. It's DJ Evil E. Islam mm-hmm. creates the beats. And it has, it feels like that. I don't know if that's, if it is though, but you're going to tell me. Shoot. I'm going to have to look <laughs> it up. It, it, it sounds like, it's, it's not perfect, but it sounds like it could be something from the same track. It's been sampled by, again, artists since since the 80s, including many contemporary artists, but it's been sampled by Salt and Peppa, MC Snow, mm-hmm. Skrillex mm-hmm. sampled it, Tyler, the creator, The Prodigy. You probably heard it in a Prodigy song if you're a fan of them. It's in Minefields. Um, mm-hmm. You'd recognize it there. But also by NWA in this uh, hit song. The strength of street knowledge. <laughs> yep. So they slow it down a little bit, but there mm-hmm. it is. Yeah, it's slower. Mm-hmm. Straight out of Compton, crazy motherfucker named Ice Cube from the game. All right, we'll stop it there. That's a good stop. That's a good stopping point. Before Will gets too crazy in his hot pants. Yes, that's what we'll say it that way, cat. Hot pants, I'm coming. So because of the speed of it and sort of the, sort of the aggressive nature of it, like I mentioned, it became, it became it's a very, staple. Very of, grindy, kind of crunchy. Mm, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so it became, yeah. you know, sort of ideal for these electronic groups that don't even yeah. necessarily slow it down. You know, it's not, mm-hmm. uh, anyway, the, sadly though, like I mentioned, uh, when I told you the story about clubs, Clyde Stubblefield, the Winstons received no royalties for the sample and bad mm. band leader Spencer said it was unlikely that drummer Coleman, who died homeless and destitute in 2006, so realized sad. the impact he had on music. Spencer wow. condemned its use as plagiarism, but later said it was flattering. So again, something's got to mm. be done. I mean, this is just mm. tragic. Yeah. 
All right, there you go. There's some number of, but probably 10, because we talked about it. Uh-huh. The crazy thing about samples like that, I think, is really interesting, is that yeah. is there's the original source material, mm-hmm. and then it's utilized, but mm-hmm. sometimes it's utilized in such a way that it's transformative, and then mm-hmm. someone might sample that, and so are you crediting the original artist, or did I use it because of how artist B, C, or D transformed it, therefore mm-hmm. I want to use their version yes. of it. It yeah. gets very muddy. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, th- three, uh, mm-hmm. The Magic Number by De La Soul uh, mm-hmm. is a good example of that because it turns out mm-hmm. that the, a beat that works its way through that whole thing, mm-hmm. it's actually a sample of a Led Zeppelin song called The Crunch. Mm-hmm. Okay. But they didn't use The Crunch directly. They instead used a sample of The Crunch as it was put together with else. some elements by Steinsky and Double D earlier in yeah. the 1980s. Huh. That's the weird thing. So yeah, you're yeah. right. It's yeah, yeah. I'm most I'm the biggest fan of songs where you can uh, mm-hmm. when they layer like Paul's Boutique, like it takes a mm-hmm. nation of millions, mm-hmm. like the De La Soul. When you layer so many s- samples together, it creates a mm-hmm. whole other song. Yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not to say that any of the individual artists shouldn't get the proper credit and compensation. Right. No. All right, yeah. hey, that yeah. is the show. And our show is brought to you every week, thanks in part oh, to our yeah. early adopters. All right, I'm going to do something different, you guys. Okay. Oh. Thanks to our early adopters like Karen Flieger, yeah. Rick mm-hmm. Parker, and yeah. Kathy Burke. Because <laughs> nice. I feel like everyone should deserve to have the little flourish at the end. Okay. Uh-huh. And thanks especially to our secret of our success level yeah. Patreon supporters. Uh-huh. Like, hmm. <laughs> you try to say them all up. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great, I love this. This is a great experiment. Nick Guillory. Brad yep. Bowman. Oh, you're rearranging the order. Tony That's what Green. you're doing. Great. Marcus Taylor. Oh. John Henderson. And Craig Coletta. <laughs> All right, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> really cool. Hey, if you want to support us, go to 1980snow.com slash support. There's plenty of ways to do so, including giving us money. Give us the money. <laughs> the, it helps pay the bills. There's a lot of bills. You, you would be surprised. Yep. But you could also just yeah, right. send us an email like we received from Kevin. In Pittsburgh, mm. who wrote, hey, Will, love the podcast. I listened through iHeartRadio. I'm a few huh. months behind. Just listened to the Julie Brown interview today. Funny and informative as always. You got yeah. me following Violet Sky. Thank you for showcasing her. My favorite episodes have become the true crime podcast. I told you, we oh. should just do that from now on. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> can or we at least get, once a month. <laughs> can, we get, uh, on the, can we get one on the Tylenol cyanide murders from 1982? Or is that Ooh. not obscure enough? I think actually I found the Japanese uh, chocolate balls when we did while researching the 82 cyanide. Cause I think, okay. mm-hmm. I think there wasn't mm-hmm. enough meat on the 82 story. Cause I think it turns mm-hmm. out actually nobody died even in the 82 thing. Not that we need anybody, mm-hmm. to die, but it was, yeah. no, 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 no. Someone died in the Tylenol thing. Okay. Definitely. But I think it was, and then it was one okay. person. It was mm-hmm. a lot Only of it. One. A lot of it is <laughs> what we know or think we know about it is actually rumors and urban legend is what it turned out. Oh, well, that's a, a spin. Like that's a cool spin you could put on it. Well, if you could, if you could work like some pickles and parrots into it, we can still <laughs> yeah. make a show out of it. I'm up for it. Uh, we going to have to start working out though. Cause I know the last one was exhausting, right? <laughs> when you said once a month, I thought cat's trying to kill me. Uh, keep up the good work, Kevin writes. Thank you so much, Kevin. All right. Hey, Thanks, we Kevin. will keep Thanks. up the good work when we talk to you again next time on 1980s Now. Until next time. <laughs> Bye-bye now. This podcast is part of the 80s Ruled Network. Visit the 80s Ruled on Facebook for more 1980s awesomeness.